as a constitutional law attorney, former senior legal advisor and personal counsel to President Donald J. Trump. Jenna Ellis believes in the rule of law and the importance of integrity in our elections. And she's ready to tackle the big cultural and legal issues facing America. This is the Jenna Ellis Show. Here is your host, Jenna Ellis. Hello, friends, and welcome to another episode of the Jenna Ellis Show. I'm Jenna Ellis. The Biden administration has caused a financial crisis, and they have no clue how to fix it. Oil prices have skyrocketed, and when oil prices go up, not only do your expenses go up, but the cost of transportation and shipping spikes, leading the prices of goods to rise. We're seeing record inflation, and that is the very last thing we need. Our economy is in trouble, and you need to take steps to protect yourself. If your money is tied up in stocks, bonds, and traditional markets, you may be vulnerable. So gold is one of the best ways to protect your retirement. Legacy Precious Metals is the company that I trust for investing in gold, and they can help you roll your retirement account into a gold-backed IRA where you still own the physical gold. They can also ship gold and precious metals safely and securely to your house. So call Legacy Precious Metals today at 866-528-1903 or visit them online at LegacyPMInvestments.com. Download the free investor's guide. That's 866-528-1903 or online at LegacyPMInvestments.com. And joining me now is my very good friend, the Chief's Chief, Mark (laughs) Meadows. It is great to be with you. Thanks so much. And uh, obviously, thanks for covering uh, this important book that talks about the unbelievable accomplishments of, of the 45th president that I had the honor of serving. Yeah, it's it's been an amazing few years. And, you know, right before we started uh, talking on, on air, uh, we were talking about how it's been a kind of an amazing last few years and so much has happened. And of course, before we get into the book, I have to ask you because, you know, we scheduled uh, this to talk about your book. But of course, today there's so much in the news about everything going on with the January 6th committee. Now uh, they're contemplating holding you in criminal contempt. So anything you want to say along those lines? Yeah, obviously these are complex legal matters that I've left up to attorneys that uh, can handle those. Uh, We have been trying uh, to find some accommodation with the January 6th committee on those non-privileged items. And I want to stress that uh, because President Trump has claimed claimed executive privilege. As you know, uh, we've been consistent from day one that we were going to honor that. Uh, it's not my privilege to waive, uh, honestly. It's not even Congress's necessarily to weigh in on a, the merits of that. Obviously, they uh, they believe that he is not claiming that uh, in a proper format. But uh, but I can say this: after working with them, trying to work uh, with them, uh, it became obvious over the last uh, 72 hours or so that. Um, they continued to uh, plan to, to delve into both executive privilege and, and some of the deliberative speech uh, that, that would have occurred as, as a result of, of uh, my interactions with, with the president and other senior staff. And so uh, um, it, it, we had to make the tough decision to say that we're, we're going to no longer uh, uh, cooperate uh, I've read the reports uh, that they plan to hold me in criminal contempt, and, uh, you know, that's unfortunate. I can tell you, when I was a member of Congress, we tried to use uh, subpoenas in a very narrow 
way and, and compelling only that evidence that we really needed to have uh, mm -hmm. for our legislative purpose. Uh, over the last 72 hours, actually, uh, I got uh, a subpoena uh, for phone records, and in uh, and, and the breadth of that subpoena uh, was an, a, another factor that let me mm -hmm. know that um, uh, cooperation is not really what they're looking for. They're looking for uh, this to continue to drive a particular narrative that they've set out, that many of them, in fact, all of the people on the committee have already uh, voted to impeach uh, Donald Trump, and so it's hard to suggest that they would be looking at this from a new, neutral arbiter's point of view. Certainly, and, and definitely the people that were chosen to be on the committee and the people that were excluded. I had a conversation uh, on this show with Jim Jordan uh, just a few weeks ago and some of the others who would have liked to be on that committee as Republicans. This is not bipartisan. I think the American people can see right through that. And one of the things that you emphasized that is very important for people to understand is that it isn't your privilege to waive. Right. And exactly. that's what that's what I think yeah. a lot of people don't realize and where I see this going in a way that's setting such bad precedent, even if the committee thinks that they're entitled to all of this and the all of the leftists are saying, yes, we want to know exactly what happened. They're setting such a bad precedent because even with Joe Biden in office now, how are his staffers going to suggest and advise him if they know, OK, these conversations really aren't privileged and now Congress can somehow uh, come back and they can inquire into all of our conversations that are off the record. It would be similar as saying right now with the Supreme Court contemplating uh, the Dobbs opinion, is Congress going to subpoena the clerks and say, you know, we want to go into all of these uh, deliberative uh, contemplations and we want to have oversight into a coordinate branch. It's very bad precedent. And I think uh, what you're doing in terms of standing firm saying no executive privilege matters is very important, not just to this pres uh, president, but to precedent in general. Well, and I mean, you make a very valid point. I think the 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 danger of this is those candid conversations that include uh, uh, you know a plethora of issues well beyond uh, even the scope of the January 6th commission uh, is uh, is really something that if you're going to have a, a, a different uh, president of a different party wave it and and wave that for uh, a house that has a different party uh, with the speaker's gavel uh, you're going to have this continual uh, uh, chilling effect on on not only advice but but certainly on communication and uh, and and this is not government oversight. Let's be clear. I've right. I've said publicly and I'll say again here today. I'm not aware of anybody in the West Wing that had any advanced knowledge of a security breach that was going to happen at the Capitol on January 6. Uh, likewise, I've said publicly. Uh, yeah, the president had uh, ordered 10,000 National Guard troops to be on the ready to make sure that those uh, 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 proceedings, you know, what happened would happen in a peaceful way. And, and so there's a whole lot that could be addressed that seems to be uh, ignored. Uh, and, and yet, when we look at, at much of that, uh, uh, I'm, I'm hopeful that uh, still in a spirit of accommodation that things will... will uh, will change and that uh, Congress will see the importance of, of maintaining at least some guardrails on that executive privilege. 
and I say I'm hopeful. I'm not optimistic, <laughs> uh, right. but I'm hopeful. And and uh, and and with that, I think the the bigger part of this is uh, if we can continue, uh, Jenna, to to uh, understand that. Um, you know, what happened uh, with a breach of the Capitol security on January 6th uh, needs to be condemned. It's not something mm-hmm. that, that, uh, that anybody ought to, to applaud. At the same time, you know, to um, connect certain motivations and certain connections to that, I, I just uh, don't subscribe to. Absolutely. And that's where we've seen even in other uh, very public trials and instances, for example, you know, Kyle Rittenhouse, how the mainstream media tried to drive that narrative. They tried to uh, make self-defense into something that it wasn't for political purposes. We've seen this over and over and over again, where the parsing of issues, the rational evaluation of evidence uh, seems to not be anywhere in the Democrats' wheelhouse at all. They're not approaching these things in good faith. And it's frustrating as conservatives, and um, and I think you would agree with this, that we want to always maintain a principled uh, view and to make sure that we're always approaching the table in good faith, even when they're not. And so, so often, a lot of conservatives, I'm seeing them say, well, you know, the Democrats are just doing all of this in bad faith, then we just need to throw the Constitution out, too. I'm thinking, no, that's that's the wrong well, way to yeah, look at I'm it. I'm glad you point that out. I mean, we need to be the, uh, supportive of the Constitution, the rule of law. Certainly, uh, those need to be enshrined and protected uh, and and honestly, uh, when you look at this, uh, just because someone else is, is having bad behavior, it doesn't mean that you can uh, throw your principles to the side. And, you know, one of the things in the chief's chief that I talk about is, is the fact that the president has been consistent uh, mm-hmm. in terms of wanting to make sure that, you know, the, the rule of law is adhered to, whether it was from the riots that were happening, you know, in the summer of 2020. Uh, he was very much wanting to make sure that that we gave the assets necessary to those mm-hmm. governors. And many times it was Democrat governors that said, you know, no, uh, we don't want the want the help, uh, mm-hmm. whether it's in Wisconsin or Oregon or uh, you know Minnesota or any other place. And uh, and and yet the the president. You know, love. The book talks about how much the president loves this country, mm. and you know that personally. I know that personally. Yes. But uh, the amazing accomplishments that he was able to get done. Yeah, and I'm so glad and grateful that you wrote this book and that you are standing firm on the truth. And I would say this even if this were the chief of staff to a prior Democrat president, that we need to put aside all of the partisan political intrigue and say the American principles matter, the Constitution matters. And I think that, uh, Mark, is really what the left hated so much about President Trump is that he was so committed to the U.S. Constitution, to American greatness, and he he just drove that home in every decision that he made and didn't care what the political optics were. He didn't care about even, you know, people in his own party condemning certain things. Um, he was willing to stand up and say, we need to be proud to be Americans. And that's a nonpartisan thing. And so for you in your role to stand firm and say things like executive privilege matter, things like the U.S. Constitution matters, uh, things telling the truth like you are in your book, um, that is a really difficult position, but that is 
fully American, and you should be applauded for that. Well, you're very kind. Uh, you know, as you know, it's it's not always easy. Uh, you know, if if indeed uh, Congress continues to move down this this road uh, for taking a principled stand, it will have real consequences for me, both personally and professionally. Mm-hmm. And yet, uh, listen. Uh, my God still reigns over the affairs of nations. Amen. And, and I, I can tell you that, uh, you know, my prayer life has been better and stronger uh, because of, uh, of of the difficulties that I'm going through. And, uh, and, and, and yet at the same time, I want to make sure that in, 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 in the chief's chief, I tried to do this, is the president, and you said it very well just a few seconds ago, the president was willing to make tough decisions. I mean, politically tough, but personally tough as well, decisions each and every day for the betterment of this country. Uh, you know, no one would have said when he was candidate Donald Trump coming down that escalator that he was going to be uh, really in the very top echelon of people who can accomplish things on foreign policy. I mean, they, yeah. they didn't put that on his resume. And yet what we found was is not only was his interaction uh, historic in nature, in nature whether it uh, is moving the embassy from Tel Aviv to, to Jerusalem, the Abraham Accords, having uh, meetings with uh, Kim Jong-un. I mean, when you look at it, taking on uh, Vladimir Putin, Putin and, and President Xi, I mean, when you see the, the strength uh, okay. and, and, and the whole way he was being condemned, you know, and, and this was before I was even chief of staff, you know, I saw that when I was a member of Congress, but, okay. uh, he loves the country. It's truly America first. He was proud to not only hug the flag, but hug the constitution and, yeah. and hug people that, mm. that really embrace that the forgotten man and woman, mm-hmm. the forgotten man and woman. Yeah. And so as you described this, and it was such an amazing experience, I think that both you and I shared in very different roles, but to just have the proximity of seeing his love for this country. And I mean, I I will never forget how many times he told me just, well, what does the constitution require? And I just, I love this. Wasn't this brilliant? Wasn't this so amazing that they put this in there? And he would just, he would just talk about the founders, loved uh, everything about the constitution. And so as you were a member of Congress. And, um, and that's actually where you and I first met kind of, you know, going in and out of the green room. And that was a lot of fun. Uh, what motivated you to want to leave that to become the chief's chief? Well, I, it was a discussion that he and I had had a couple of times. Uh, obviously we were going through very difficult periods in Congress, uh, Mm -hmm. fighting on impeachment, uh, fighting back, uh, on the Russia hoax, the whole Mueller uh, investigation, which by the way, uh, if you look at all of that, you know, so many of the narratives that were out there on Sunday uh, morning talk shows by some of my Democrat colleagues, uh, they don't pass muster today, you know, mm-hmm. and, and they didn't pass then. I knew it. I would mm-hmm. say it. You would say it. But so many others, they wanted to believe all of this Russia mm-hmm. collusion stuff. And they're trying to revive it, it with it, this uh, new Mueller uh, report. Uh, it's I, ridiculous. I mean, it's just it's something else. Uh-huh. But what, what I did appreciate about him is is that uh, he was willing to to really get in and mix it up directly with lawmakers. I mean, he would, as you know, he'd call you, call me. He'd call any lawmaker where he says, you know, we need to get this done. He was a can-do kind of guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I outline that in, in, in the book and uh, where I basically talk about he's willing to pick up the phone 
and mm-hmm. talk to anybody to accomplish things. And, and he wants to get a note directly from them. And many times when I was his chief of staff, you know, I said, well, sir, you know, it doesn't look like they're going to be supported. What's their phone number? Let, let's get them <laughs> on the line. And, uh, and, uh, and, and he's, he's been one of those uh, uh, freedom warriors mm-hmm. that has been willing to sacrifice so much. You know, everybody talks about how they get rich off of Washington, D.C., and that was a Democrat narrative for the president. Well, <laughs> he's the only president I know of that gave his entire salary back to the federal government. Mm-hmm. Uh, and 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 that somehow that gets missed. You know, it's a little of footnote course. <laughs> on uh, on uh, communication. But uh, but in, in the book, uh, it really talks more about his willingness, his work ethic. I mean, mm. the, the great, you know, everybody talks about it. He worked me under the table. I can tell you, I would get calls at midnight at 1 a.m., 3 a.m., 3.18 a.m. is mm-hmm. the earliest slash latest that I think I ever got a phone call. But he I was, hope you screenshotted yeah, that he, for, for Buster. We need to get this yeah. done. And, uh, and uh, it, it, it's all about Trump time. Mm-hmm. I, I can tell you, uh, Trump time is is a key thing. Uh, it was a real thing in the West Wing. Uh, if he gave you a task, he expected you to come back and have answers for that. And uh, and mm-hmm. that's the part that uh, the American people, I think, a lot of them missed. Yeah, I I agree with that. And how he was so focused on getting the job done rather than what people are used to in Washington. Oh, we need to, you know, do this in a way that's accommodating and compromising and not offensive and some of this back and forth. He came in as a businessman saying, okay, this needs to get done. Well, I expect people to do it. And, you know, I would get those same calls where he'd say, okay, Jenna, do this. And I'm thinking, well, how exactly? (laughs) But, you know, we'll figure it out. And that was an amazing uh, thing about him and just that drive to say, I want to actually work on behalf of the American people, and I want to make sure that this country is on a better trajectory. Uh, yeah, and I think that's the key, is is he did it not for his personal gain. He did mm-hmm. it for, for uh, as I mentioned, the forgotten man and woman. But, you know, I, there's a little uh, a vignette in, in the book uh, where I talk about uh, I think we were at a rally. It was, you know, late in uh, 2020 during the reelection campaign uh, in Pennsylvania, and and this happened not just in Pennsylvania, but it happened in a number of other places. But uh, I go up to this guy, and he was a union worker, and and I said, well, why is it that you, you know, you uh, support uh, President Trump so much? Why, you know, why why are you so supportive? And he thought for just a second, he goes. Well, he's just like me. Now, that <laughs> wow. is very telling where you yeah. have a billionaire New York businessman and a, a union worker that literally uh, is probably working uh, on wages, uh, on hourly wages. And he mm-hmm. says he's just like me. And what he was what essentially he was saying is is mm. he loves this country he's proud of this country he's willing to fight for this country and uh, despite our differences mm-hmm. you know we're we're all in this and i think uh, that's the thing that made him very endearing to so many people why, why still today his endorsement is the most powerful political mm-hmm. thing that i've ever seen in the history of politics uh, it's because uh, people love that authenticity Yes, they do. And so in your tenure as chief of staff, and you mentioned this great story, what is one other story that people really haven't heard that you feel like just encapsulates your time and going, this is a moment where 
I was the chief of staff, and this is the chief's chief. <laughs> yeah, uh, so I, I try to put a, a number of different stories, not as much as the infighting, even though there's mm-hmm. some of that in there. Uh, there's some on Dr. Fauci and some on Doctor uh, uh, on uh, Secretary Esper and Mark Milley, mm-hmm. but not as much focus on that is on the way that President Trump uh, had to, to fight the fight. So one of the one of the vignettes I have in there was, if you recall, when oil was going down, it was we had the the 15 days to slow the spread. We put this artificial freeze on uh, uh, companies. Oil went to uh, and dropped uh, very very significantly. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a threat that it would would drop more, and uh, and so the president was real concerned not. Uh, not necessarily because of the oil prices, but because they were artificially low and mm. we were going to lose thousands, tens of thousands of jobs across the country. Uh, you know, not j- just in those areas where you think of Texas and Oklahoma and the oil and gas areas, but in places like in Pennsylvania and Ohio and others mm-hmm. where if oil went uh, artificially low, uh, we needed to have that fine balance. So he gets President Putin on the line. He gets hmm. uh, the King of Saudi Arabia on the line. And I'm sitting there watching him negotiate in real time with them talking about production and uh, and having uh, really the Americans' best interest at heart negotiating. Hmm. Uh, and, he, and he says in there, he says, you know, oil's going to go to zero. And uh, I think it was uh, Vladimir Putin that pushed back. Oil's not going to go to zero. But the president had this uncanny way, and I talk about seeing beyond the horizon. He's always Mm -hmm. able to say, you know, this is what's going to happen. And many times in the media, the left will go crazy and say that's not the case. But he says oil's going to— But then he's proven right. Sure enough, (laughs) oil went to zero. And it not only went to zero, but it went below zero. And then there was another call that Mm. got made, where he says, Mark, get the Secretary of Energy in here. We need to, one, buy to start buying some of the production. But he wanted the American taxpayer to benefit. Mm. You know, he says, whatever we've got, buy as much as we can, fill it up. You know, if it's a federal bathtub, Fill it up, you know, and, uh, and that may be a little bit more uh, my ad lib than, than his, but he was very serious about making sure that what we did was benefiting the American taxpayer. Mm-hmm. And what the, the long story short is, is that basically oil stabilized. We were able to have low gas prices, a stable market, uh, quite a contrast from what we're seeing right now where we're hoping things mm-hmm. get better. Isn't it amazing in one year? how the Biden administration has completely changed the trajectory, and it's awful. And some of the criticism that I see now uh, people giving the president, uh, President Trump, is— Okay, hindsight, of course, is always twenty twenty, and that that phrase is actually uh, interesting with the twenty twenty election that that we've always seen. But the criticism has been focused on how he handled initially the pandemic and saying, well, shouldn't he have focused on therapeutics instead of the vaccine, for example? Then they wouldn't have been able to weaponize it like this. In your view, um, is there anything that you saw that you would now change looking back? Well, obviously, you always look back and say, I wish we could have done something. I will 
said, let me just address the therapeutics. There was one person who was uh, wanting therapeutics more than anybody else, and it was President Donald J. Trump. Uh, I, I put that in the book. You know, everybody talks about Operation Warp Speed and the, and the vaccines and, and where we are today, but that was largely dismissed by Dr. Fauci saying it couldn't happen in two to five years, and so in spite of that, he was going. But the president was one that says, we need to get therapeutics. He, mm-hmm. he was, uh, and, and still to this day, believes that we ought to have therapeutics uh, because if you get COVID, you know, he wanted to make sure that people uh, didn't have to to fear a death sentence. And that therapeutic was something that if they got it, you know, they, mm-hmm. they could take advantage of. And so uh, perhaps uh, being a little bit more aggressive on, on that side of it early mm-hmm. on uh, would have been there. But I will say that it was all hands on deck. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, it's 20, you know, 24 hours. I'm getting a little bit more sleep than I did when I was the, the chief of staff. Uh, but it was really about ventilators making, you know, there was, mm-hmm. there was a point in time where we thought we would run out of hospital beds and ventilators mm-hmm. and that literally people would die. And, and people it, forget it, it, those moments when they're looking back and they're criticizing. They forget that this was very real time with only the information you had at the time. And it was an impossible task on the ventilators to say, well, how are we going to get this many ventilators because the projection of what we needed. And not only was it a masterful job in terms of the president and his team and uh, you know, there were a number of folks that actually uh, really spent morning, noon, and night trying to solve that particular issue. And it was mm-hmm. solved. I mean, we ended up being able to ship ventilators to other countries to help them out uh, when we originally thought that we were going to run out of those. And mm-hmm. whether it's the mercy and the comfort sending those in to uh, have have hospital beds in you know up on the east and west coast uh, working with nonprofits like Samaritan's Purse to actually mm-hmm. have a, uh, you know a, a, a hospital built mm-hmm. in Central Park with tents and everything else. I mean, it, it was an incredible all-out uh, effort, and yet uh, you know the the COVID counter that was on some of the the left-wing media. Uh, you know, television shows uh, painted a very different picture. Yeah, like it always does. Well, yeah. um, well, Mark, I have two last quick questions yeah. for you. First, yeah. is he going to run in 2024? Yeah. <laughs> what do you to, think? You need to read the last chapter of my book. Ah, the, the teaser. Okay. Uh, I will say this, uh, not to be a spoiler. Uh, <laughs> uh, I don't work for the campaign. I don't work for the president. So any opinion of mine is solely <laughs> my own as it relates to him running because I don't want to start anything mm-hmm. uh, in terms of an official clock. You have good lawyers. But, uh, but, but I do think uh, the, the, the last sentence in, in the book says, I expect four more years. Don't yeah. we all yeah. hope for that? And yeah. then last question, why this picture on the cover? You know, uh, it's a it's it's a moment in time. Where did it come from and why? Yeah, why that so picture? one of the things I talk about, a great question. You're the, the only one to have asked that question. So one of the things I talk about in the book is chopper talk mm-hmm. uh, and the very fact that the president was willing to go out and talk to all the media on that chopper talk. And even on days when perhaps, you know, the news cycle was not that great. And I wasn't real excited about him going out facing uh, uh, a number of uh 
our less than friendly reporters, mm -hmm. let's put it that way. Uh, that was uh, going out. He was actually talking to a number of, uh, of people on our way out that particular day. Uh, mm -hmm. It shows uh, him front and center, me behind him. Uh, mm -hmm. That's the way that a good chief of staff is there to support. Uh, it shows him in action. He was mm -hmm. actually engaging. And so we picked that up, and that kind of connects to the chopper mm -hmm. talk. And so... Uh, um, uh, you know, it's got a little bit sterner look on my face. You know, I've had some of these people say, well, gosh, you, you, you've got kind of a scowl on your face. <laughs> but I thought it, it showed uh, really the president in action and, mm -hmm. and me being behind him. Uh, it was an honor to serve him. He was a historic president. And, mm -hmm. and I think that anyone who uh, uh, is a Trump fan will enjoy the read. Very exciting. And uh, I think it's a great picture that shows a moment and shows you in action as well. It's an action shot, not yeah. the, you yeah. know, kind of the thumbs up. But uh, where can people find the book? And uh, is it out yet? It is out. It's in uh, your favorite bookstore. Uh, you can get it online, uh, whether that is, is Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, uh, you you name it. Uh, we, we hopefully uh, will uh, sell out real quickly, but I can tell you it's in a bookstore, mm -hmm. your favorite bookstore. So if they're listening in or reading in, they can Go online or, or go into that uh, brick-and-mortar store and, and buy great. one. Well, I'm very excited to read it. And thank you, Mark. And it was so great to see you again. And thank you for your service to this country and to our favorite president. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks. Good to be with you. I have to talk to you about my good friend, Mike Lindell. You all have helped build MyPillow into the amazing company that it is today. Mike has an amazing offer for my listeners on his standard MyPillows. You will receive a standard MyPillow, regularly $69.98, now only $19.98. You will also receive deep discounts on all MyPillow products, such as MyPillow towels, mattress topper, my slippers, my favorite, and so much more. Go to MyPillow.com and use the promo code Jenna, that's J-E-N-N-A, to receive Mike's standard MyPillow for just $19.98 or call one 800 564 8475 and use promo code Jenna. That's J E N N A. My pillow is made in the USA and comes with a 10 year warranty. So you know, it's going to last and it's Mike Lindell. So you know, it's great quality.